Welcome to the Business of Beers podcast. This is the place where we help entrepreneurs expand their business, build their wealth, and generate passive income. I'm your host, Brian Beers, an entrepreneur who's on a mission to inspire growth from everyone around me. Remember that you need to take the action others won't, and you can live the life that others don't. Please be sure to check out my weekly newsletter that now drops every Thursday. It includes one quote, one tweet, one podcast recommendation, plus some business and investing insight from me. It's short and it's sweet. My goal is to provide you with just a couple gold nuggets to help inspire your growth. Go to brianbeers.com to subscribe. Hey everyone, I'm excited today to bring you Brigham Dallas. He is the founder and CEO of Hello Sugar franchise. Hello Sugar is a national franchise that does Brazilian wax sugar salons, and they have this remarkable business model that we're going to get into. So welcome to the show, Brigham. Hey, Brian. Thanks for having me on the show today. Awesome. So let's go over a... We'll start with the business model. So what is the business model? Then we'll kind of get into your history and, and, and go from there. Yeah. And to tie in my history, I started this when I was 26, totally broke, had no money, and uh, put everything I had, which was like less than $5,000 to start this business. And today it's doing tens of millions of revenue, and it's a very profitable business. Um, and I liked that strategy of growth that I had, which was low risk, fast to market, get there as quickly as you can, test the model. And if it works, then you scale to a higher level, much more than the idea of invest $400,000 of your life savings and your, for the next 10 years. And then you don't even know it's going to work. You open it in like a year and you don't know what's going to work. So I, I like this step risk kind of model a lot more. Okay. And the way that Hello Sugar works is that it's a Brazilian wax and sugar salon. We start off in a salon suite. So you can think like WeWork, where they have like a lot of like rent rentable office spaces. Like there's these salon boutiques out there that will rent a room of 10 by 10, 100 square feet for a weekly price, right? And we start off in there. We do all the advertising, all the reception. We help you hire and train your people. We get the business off the ground. And then once you prove the business model, that's when we move it to a large brick and mortar store where you spend a year and then you get an SBA loan and you know, it's a, it's a whole process. Yeah, but that's the three, $400,000 fancy build out or whatever that, that costs. Yeah. But you already know it's going to work because you have all the metrics in place to see if it's going to like, you, you've proven the incubator already to know. Okay. Okay. And so is that, is that unique in the, the, the waxing? I know there's like European wax. I know there's some others. I mean, I'm not obviously a customer, <laughs> but like, I, I, what's the landscape look like and, and how does this, how does Hello Sugar kind of fit into kind of what the competitors are doing? There's four large competitors in this space uh, besides us and there's no other business doing it like this. Um, so we can start a, we can start a franchise for less than $60,000. Oh, wow. Um, all in, working capital and everything included, get it up and running off the ground. And according to our item 19 from last year, the average franchisee that's over a year in business is making 65,000 profit. And uh, the top quartile are hitting 115,000 profit on these salon suites. And then once they move from a, a salon suite to a flagship, we're doing between 150 to 250,000 in profit um, on the larger units. Okay. Uh, so let me, I'll just break it down so, so I understand it. So, so they, they start 60-ish K, they pay the franchise fee, they got equipment, they're starting in this, whatever small booth in a salon suite so they they get customers they they train their team they like you know they got low low rent low overhead low low risk this is what you're talking about right and then 
these guys are averaging, you said, what, 65K in, in profit the first year on average for that. So they're 60, 60 grand and 60K out. So they're getting kind of all their kind of capital back. The best ones are doing double, almost double that. Um, and then during this time, they're starting to build out, find a, find a great location in a strip center somewhere, probably in that, that, that region. So it's okay for customers. And then they build out that what, what's a, what's a, what's a flagship cost? Yeah, just backing up a little bit. So the sixty-five thousand profit was for yep. those that were twelve plus months in business. Oh, twelve months. Okay, got it, got it. Yeah, that first year, you're really just you're 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 putting a lot of costs in the beginning, but then you're using some of your profits to help build. So you're gonna add. You're only gonna hire three estheticians in the beginning. So for that first year, you're gonna hire more estheticians. You might open a second room inside of that building. Okay. And yeah, you're gonna you're gonna grow, and so the growth is gonna make it so the profits aren't like great. You know, until about yep. four to six months in. Then you start to start ramping up on the profit. Yeah, because so, you're yeah, reinvesting so. the cash flow into hiring more people, hopefully building another studio, maybe marketing, like which honestly is the way someone should do it. Like if they're not going to yeah. do that, they shouldn't buy a franchise. They shouldn't buy a business. I, you know, that this is a compound business. Like you got to reinvest your profits back into growing. I think, you know, obviously for for you, this is like really cool because they start they can start really low. They can reinvest their profits. They can grill the salon, and then they can take that money and then continue to compound it into, you know, the flagship and then I'm sure multiple flagships, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and so we really look at this for like, oh, the profits of Hello Sugar for the sweets, you're not even thinking about that. Just like you said, Brian, this is compound. You're thinking, does this model work? Yep. And in my market. Works, yep. All that stuff. Let's go spend a year of our time building out a flagship and the entire time is being built out. You're taking those profits in during that whole time. Yep. And you got Versus some sort low. of cash, cash flow. Um, yeah. What if it doesn't work? This is really cool. So to build the suite, it takes one week. Okay. And so we've had salons that were like, uh, this area is just not what I thought it was. Let's spend one week moving it to a different area and try right, again. So same equipment. It's just, they're moving. I mean, it's, they just, you just find another location. Yeah. Like it, we had, we had a salon in uh, Boise, Idaho. I'll give you an example of this. Uh, we had a salon in Boise, Idaho. It was one of our first locations. And we did it in Meridian and Boise, and they were 12 minutes apart. And the reason we did two is because we, we thought with training costs, it'd be cheaper to just train them all together. Yeah. But it's too close together for the market when we started. And so we took the one suite in Boise, we closed it down, we took all the revenue there, moved it over to the Meridian suite. And now we have all the clients from both, and they were profitable the first month they did that, and they grew it from there. Mm. And now they have a flagship there, very successful. And so this like pivoting and the movement of it also like lowers the risk. Is is success somewhat dependent on on the location? I know different businesses. I've, the location has a, a greater impact than others. Is this one where like location really matters? There's so location in the sense of foot traffic. No, you're not going to get any foot traffic in this building. So it's not like location, location. Get them on this, the road with the most yep. traffic. It's like the demographics of that area. The demographics of that area, and I guess you competitors have. and other probably factors too, right? Yeah, and you know, you think, hey, this is a salon. Brian, like, I'll, I'll, I'll take you, take a guess at this. Do you think it's like, are you looking for like really wealthy people? Or are you looking for like, like less income? What do you think the right demographic for this is? Uh, I don't know, somewhere in the upper middle, probably not the highest, but probably not the lowest. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I thought it'd be like really high. So like my first location was North Scottsdale. North Scottsdale is like this like primo 115,000 average income salaries. Like it's like a really good area. And it does okay as a flagship, but it's not, it's not spectacular. My best locations are the ones that are near women from 20 to 40 years old with a high density of females. So a college area is great. 
or an area that just has a lot of like, uh, like young families. Yeah, yeah, when you get into the high incomes, you have fewer houses because rich people like to spread out. Yep. So you don't get the density of so females. It's the urban, so it's like these downtown urban kind of areas is is where you feel like you just got more opportunity. Yeah, that's one of them. But it's, it's not just that though. Like, I mean, we, we have a location in Flagstaff, Arizona, which is a ski town. That location absolutely kills it. Does so well. And it's because there's not a lot of competition there. And so the people that are there have nowhere to go but us, you know, for a, a really good service. So it's like low competition can also be a factor in this. And then how do you guys go about helping the franchisees select that like location to determine, I guess, competitors, female populations, you know, ages, all that, all that stuff. So uh, Hello Sugar is like really, it's like, it's like a tech company that does waxing. We have like so many cool tech softwares that we've custom built ourselves. And one of those is a mapping software. So we took Google Maps, we were able to purchase like layered data from census and other types of things. And we layered on top of Google Maps, uh, the percentage or the, the total population density of 20 to 40 year old females and like other financial metrics okay. and ethnicities and then the competitors and like salons. So we, we've like layered all these data onto it and we've built our own like proprietary software that tells us these things. Okay. It's not perfect, awesome. but it gets us a lot closer. And, and then how close, I guess, within that market, you want to put the flagship store from the salon suite? Yeah, typically people for this would, would drive about 12 to 14 minutes. So we like to do a radius. Okay, so they, buy, they get a protected minutes. radius when they buy the, the franchise rights? Right, so we do... Yeah, this is one thing that I have a problem with like a lot of franchise owners for like yeah. we do zones and, and territories. So a territory is like your exclusive traditional, you can't go into that area. But, you know, in franchising or like, let's say Phoenix, where I started in Phoenix, you know, I, in the beginning, Phoenix could have handled five locations. Let's just say yep. once we build the brand, we got more clientele. We have people in the area that tell other people about us and we're a more trusted location. Now, maybe you can have seven or eight, maybe 10. But if I put 10 in the beginning, all 10 of those locations either fail or suffer. So what we do is we do zones that are three-year expirations to prevent the franchisor, us, from expanding too fast in an area and killing your market share. Okay, so I do you do multi-unit deals with people too? We'll do multi-units. A lot of our franchise owners want to do multi-units. Yeah. So I go in and I say, hey, I want to do Philadelphia. You'll, we'll pick a, how, big is, how big is the zone. Let's say I want to do five. Cause I think yeah. that's like a good number. What, what, what would it look like in terms of, I pick, I pick like, here are the five best neighborhoods that I think. And then I get like a radius around those and then I hone in on it. Or what is it? What does that look like? Yeah. Like, let's say, let's say Philadelphia had, let's say we just, you know, imagine with me, we had two towns, Philadelphia, a 25 minutes away, Philadelphia B. Yep. And really there's like enough for a C in between. Right. Yep. But that C is just not like. Yeah, it's and we don't know, today. like, are, are they going to be in the east and the west and it's clear center or are both A and B going to be close to each other, right? Which kind of hurts that. Yeah, um, the idea is to take the fringe of that location yeah. that we're willing to drive farther than 14 minutes and say, hey, today there's people there that would start up in a new location and be really he healthy for it. But if we did that, we'd hurt your location. So let's not do that today. Let's wait on something like that until you're mature. Um, and, you know, is there a defined 25 minute time? No, it's like, it's very dependent on the areas and like the market demographics. You're kind of going market by market to determine how big these zones are. It's not like yeah. a three mile or five mile or 10 mile or whatever. Yeah, Brian, like, and I didn't know this before I started as a franchisor, but that's a, that's really an art more than a science. It really is dependent yep. on the areas, the locations. I mean, 
I, I don't know about you, but in Salt Lake, I wouldn't go west of the highway. You know, like I would never yeah, build yeah. something west of the highway for for me. And like, yeah, yeah that's good. I think that's a good approach. I think sometimes they try to cookie cutter and, and it's like, you know, in a highly densely populated area, like five miles is like a whole nother neighborhood and other areas like five miles is nothing. Like it's, yeah. you just go five miles up the highway. So it like um, Chicago, Chicago could have 70 to 80,000 females in a 20 to 40, 12 in a 12 minute area. That's enough mm. for like five salons, 12 minutes. Yeah. So you go, you go market by market. So how many, how many locations do you have sold and open today? We've got 76 opened. 76. Okay. Open. Yep. And what's unique about this model is it takes two to three months to build. Yep. That's quick so got, to, get, to get in that salon suite. Yeah. So once people sign the deal, I mean, they're, they're up and running within the next quarter. You know, we've got a couple, I'd say eight, eight ish in the pipeline, eight to 10 in the pipeline yep. for the next quarter. And there'll be more people usually like to wait till the end of the year and then join on. I think next year we're going to do about, I think we're going to go from 76 to about 200 units next year. Oh, wow. Okay. How many did you sell? How many did you sell in 23 here? We doubled. So we went from 39, doubled-ish, 39 to 76. To six. So almost doubled. Almost triple it. Or, yeah. Well, and, yeah. In this next year. And why, why do you see that coming? Well, most of our units are multi, multi-unit multi franchise owners. Okay. And so the fact that, you know, we have 75, I'm assuming we're going to do another 75 from the people that we already have. Okay. Cause you have development agreements with them. So you're not counting those, you're not counting those development agreements in the 76. No, no, no. So they, yeah. they might have another a hundred like under development agreements that they could open. That they could. I, so we don't, yeah, we don't reserve in the traditional sense of this is your area and that's the only one it's more of a science. It's more of an art than a science with us. So I am assuming that we're going to open about 75 more with the group that we have. Cause you know, we're a profitable business and a lot of our yeah. franchise owners are growing and happy. So we'll take those. And then 50 more is pretty reasonable out of a, a strong development franchise dev group. I think yeah. that's probably okay. possible. That's awesome. Um, then how many, how many locations do you guys operate corporately? I have 14 myself. So corporate okay. to me. 14. And that's all in uh, Arizona. It's all in Phoenix, yeah. All, all in Phoenix, okay. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna open probably two to three more flagships in the next year. In in Phoenix. Yeah. Do you own all Phoenix, or do you have franchisees there too? That's just me. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And what's your what's your team look like that that runs that? Can you like walk me through the architecture yeah. of it? Yeah. So like this is another thing. Like okay, a typical business might take 20, 30 hours a week as an owner operator. One of these salon suites takes about ten hours to operate a week. And some franchise owners have got it down to like five or less, right? And that's because we kind of like you, Brian, like we have overseas workers that help us with the management and like some of the stuff on that side. And we've done a lot on the tech side to reduce employee costs. I mean, like a typical salon has receptionists. We don't have any receptionists in our salon. So that takes half your employees out. Fewer variables, so, higher. So what do they walk in? They walk in, so they walk into this flag. We're talking about flagships, right? They walk into yeah. the flagship and they, there's an iPad, there's an iPad that checks mm-hmm. them in. And the yes decision yep. gets like a text says, Hey, your client's here. And they walk out and like, get them. Bingo. Or it's Bingo. like, yeah, it's on the phone notification on their app. And then they like, they then book the next appointment through, through that, through the through reception the app or whatever. Okay. Through the receptionist. Or sorry, I'm the yes edition. The yes edition and the technology. Okay. The yes edition is the receptionist. And you think like, let's say you have four rooms, 20 minute appointments. Every five minutes, you kind of you stagger yes. the appointments a little yeah. bit. And so you always have somebody coming up to the front. So no one's really waiting a long time for somebody. Okay. Okay. And they use different people each time. Like they don't book an appointment with Susie or Sally or whoever. Typically they like to see Susie again. 
Okay. Okay. So they're they're with the same person each time. You're naked on a table. You know, you create a pretty intimate relationship with somebody. (laughs) Got it. Um, All right. So, so, so you're talking about how it's, it's kind of employee light because you've got some technology. Mm -hmm. You don't really have reception people. It's only the technicians. Um, So then a typical suite, suites, what, four rooms? Suite. So suites, one room, one to two rooms, but a flagship, which is our brick and mortar, larger location would be four to six rooms, four to six, four to six rooms. And how many, how many estheticians will be employed at that? 10 to 14, 10 to 14. Okay. Yeah. Um, and they're all kind of like part-time kind of staggered. It's a physical business. I'm guessing like mechanic work, like the Midas's you have are similar to that. Um, so, you know, we, we do like 25 to 35 hours. I think 30 hours is like a full time on average okay. for admissions. And, uh, yeah, so they, we'll make have pretty, those, they make pretty good money, right? Uh, yeah. In Arizona, it's uh, averaging 20 to $32 an hour. So there's people okay. above that. There's people growing their books yeah, yeah. still, but that's about average for us. Yep. And there's six All months right. of schooling to become an esthetician. So that's okay. kind of nice. So you got, so you got 10 to 14 employees per flagship. And then what does it look like at least for you and yours of like, I'm sure you have like an operations manager, regional manager, how many of those like to oversee how many locations? What's that? What's that look like? Yeah, we break it down by revenue. So instead of doing like you're a manager of this flagship, we say we look at like about $250,000 of revenue and that's a district manager. And the district manager has one full-time employee overseas who helps as an offsite manager to manage that location, the locations in that group. And that could be a combination of flagships, which is really people intense, or it could be a couple of suites, which is more location intense. Uh, and so and more locations to have to create that 250,000. So what are they average in revenue? What is the flagships average, average in revenue? Uh, right now about a million a year is the average. So you we say, have you some, said 250 though. What number did you just tell me? 250 a month. Oh, 250 a month. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So you take, there. so you take, so you have 250,000 a, a month of, of revenue, which could be, you know, a couple salon, a yeah. couple of flagships or a flagship and a couple suites. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's kind of a mix. And then I guess as one grows, they might get transferred to somebody else. Is that kind of... Yeah, um, yeah. It's like the balance. Like we want to make sure that the... And, the and why, revenue, of, why revenue, not location, like number of locations? Because not every location is as profitable or as like time intensive. Suites don't take a lot of time to manage. So you might have like, you know, five suites and one flagship or like two, two flagships could do it. Like we have one location that has like three, three okay. flagships. And that's you think, it. think that's like an easier, like a more level playing field than yeah. like a mix of be- be- between them. Cause I guess if you had six suites into six flagships, like that'd be too much for one, one person and is what you're thinking. Yeah, exactly. Like that would get yeah, and then- to, to two people probably geographically you're still going to the locations inspecting them on a monthly basis for the suites and then on the flagships they're working out of the flagships so they'll actually have like they'll sit up front of the reception desk and work out of there and they'll they'll work with their estheticians listen to how they actually talk and and sell memberships and stuff to people so yep those are the so how many how many do you have how many of these district managers do you have? Yeah, we're doing in Arizona right now we're doing six to seven hundred thousand in revenue per month and so we have three district managers um split up and We'll, we'll go to about 750,000, about 750,000. Yeah, once we get to the next level, tune it down. Okay. We'll re, uh, re, reallocate. Yeah. Okay. And then do they all report to you or do you also have like a COO? No, I don't. The Arizona thing I'm completely hands off on. I'm, I'm just more there for moral support as a cheerleader. Okay. Uh, so there's a CEO who runs a business, Lisa, she's incredible. And, uh, 
there's three district managers, there's an HR director, and then, and like Lisa's a, like assistant person that helps like the, with that ministerial things. Okay. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and for like everybody else, like kind of the, the, the point of this too is, is it, it's cool how like, you know, it's a very scalable business, right? Like, and you, you've proven it in Phoenix, you're doing, you know, $8 million or, you know, what, whatever it yeah. is in, in a single market. And you've like, yeah, obviously it sounds like you think there's room to, to grow that even further. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think that's, uh, it's like, that's like really cool. I think when, when people get into franchise, that's one of the big things they're looking for is like, is it, is it scalable? Is it duplicatable? How does the franchise or leverage technology and these other things that, that just makes it easier for me? So then I can focus on what matters, which is hiring and training and, and delivering great customer experience, which, you know, that's why you need franchisees, right? Yeah. And to that point, you know, Brian, cause we've lowered the barrier to entry for people to come in. We have some cool franchisees. Like it's, it's people that I want to be around. It's people, you know, I always look at a franchisee and I say, I need to like them, trust them and respect them. And unless I can do those three things, like we don't bring them on. And so we're not like strapped to bring franchisees in that are like, we just yeah, have to culture. grow. We have to have like these people, yeah. like we're, we're really careful about the types of people. We want to create a really cool family, like a group that can yeah, so what, what are around. some of the backgrounds of the franchisees that you've, you've brought it, brought in? Like what are the different profiles? Uh, yeah. Like ironically, that? a lot of them are younger. So 25 to 35 is like, I'd say 70%. And uh, this their first business entrepreneurial venture on that side with the sixty thousand, because you know you think about it, they might not have a lot of net worth, but this business after about a year, where the models are proven, we can go to an, a bank and get an SBA loan to build the rest of that out. And you don't have a problem. I know, you don't have a problem getting the SBA loan. I know sometimes it's like if it's less than three years, they're giving them stuff. If it's only twelve months, it's. I mean, do you have some established ones that are that are, that are yeah. okay and understand it? Market specific, no. So, like for for the middle of the United States, if you took like the East and West Coast off, we have a bank that we partner with that's very good on terms and and understands they don't need the three years of tax returns. Like it's so funny how it works. Like someone's starting brand new with zero, they'll loan them a bunch of money. But if they're like twelve months in, they're saying, "Oh, we want three years," and it's like, "Well, you would have given me a bunch of money if I if I got the loan six months ago or twelve months ago." But it, it, it does create some issues for, for some people. I literally have that exact same conversation with bankers. I'm like, why would you give money to something that you know nothing about? Know. Like, yeah, we have all the stats and data on this incubator salon. Why would you not give these people the money, which is way safer? Do you have any people that try to get the loan up front for the, for the flagship and then like just try to delay payments or whatever until they need it? Or how, did, how does that No, that, that doesn't happen that way. But we do, have, we, we do have franchisees that want to start immediately as a flagship. And not do the sweet route. And uh, in that case, they're going to try to get the loan up front. And we don't have any of those built yet, but those are some of the franchise owners that are in our system that are working that out. And typically it's a lot slower. Like we have one that wanted to do a flagship out of the gate back in June, still hasn't found a location. I'm like, dude, you could have been up and running with a suite and making money. Right, you know, suite. Like I could see like, I don't know if I was doing it, I'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll line up the financing for the flagship because I know I'm going to do that, but I know it's going to take me time to find the right place, time to build it out. And like, let's at least do the sweet thing to like get cash flow going yeah. and build my team. Like, and then, Hey, when it happens, it's good. And if I'm paying interest on the loan, like it is what it is, but like, then we can move as quickly as we need to. Yeah. Um, speed to market is important when you find the right location. Cause just like housing, like a 1200 square foot box, which is about the size we use. That's what a lot of businesses want. These smaller units that are just yeah, like, that's what I mean. Yeah. Space. A lot of, a lot of franchises. That's the, that's the model. Um, yeah. What's your largest franchisee have in terms of locations opened? We have a franchisee in Houston with nine locations. Um, extremely heavy dependent on growth. He's opened six this year out of the nine. His first three did really well. He brought investors for the others and just really kills it. Okay. 
What's a flagship? I know I asked you. What's a flagship three three hundred ish to open up the flagship one? Yeah, like so. I've I've done it for one hundred twenty five. I found a location okay. that was like a, a lawyer's like four room office. It was like perfect. And okay. so I, I've, got, I've got a couple of those. I've done like 125 and then I just yep. finished to build out those 400. So it's okay. anywhere so in that varies. Room. Yeah. It varies depend on, I guess, all the, all the factors. But at the end of the day, it's walls, right? You're putting walls up. I mean, obviously probably, you know, carpet, flooring, lights, all the fixtures. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's like, if you can find something like that already built, then, you know, you, you save a couple hundred thousand if you can, but I'd rather find the right location yeah. than pay 200,000 extra cuz yeah that's always a concern with some of these brick and mortar especially that have like these boutique models is people like they want to they want to like they want to get open but then they're like it's not the ideal like strip center or whatever it is and then they're like forcing themselves into one down the road which isn't as good cuz they want to get moving but it you know yeah. it could hurt them in the end versus like if they waited you know they could possibly get you know a, a spot in that like ideal whatever next to whole foods and starbucks and pure bar and whatever whatever other things they want to be more yeah. To that point, Brian, like, so like, let's say you open two territories and you have the zone in the middle. So you have like territory A, 25 minutes, territory B. Well, territory A, territory B, and the future territory C could all be a flagship. And so when you're looking for a flagship, mm, you can put it okay. in one of the three areas where most franchisors are restricting you to that territory A location to build that flagship. But they and bought, but did that franchisee buy the rights to those three zones? Uh, so they bought the rights, like, so territory A, they've opened a salon suite there. Territory B, they've opened a salon suite there. Territory C falls within that zone that will expire within three years. But it gives you a lot more options to build. Yep. And I know we, we touched a little bit on this earlier, but you talked about the, the profit per location. Uh, I mean, you guys have one of the most detailed item 19s that, that I've ever yeah. seen. Um, just talk about it a little bit. I think it's it's by location, by, by, by month. month. By month. Yeah. So it's a, it's a 12-month P&L, right? Yeah. I'm doing this from memory, but then, so it's by location, location, A, B, C, and then here's every single month, what they did in revenue. Here's all their costs, like itemized yeah. you know, materials, labor, rent, utilities, royalties, et cetera. And here, here's their like profit before whatever debt payments and, you know, other, other stuff I'm sure they had, but, um, yeah, that was so hard to make. Uh, and this year I we're can actually, imagine. Yeah. We're so, actually like creating an API that will like pull all the data into BigQuery and then like helps organize yeah. it for us so we can keep doing this. But uh, yeah, that's the biggest challenge I think for fran- you know, all franchisees want to see P&Ls of franchisees, right? And FDs. Yeah. The problem is like collecting, like you guys collecting that information and cleaning it up because like franchisees, yeah. like like I want to show as little profit as possible on my P&Ls because I don't want to pay <laughs> yeah. taxes. You want to show as much as possible because you want to sell franchises. Yeah. And so it, it, it legitimately creates this barrier of like, well, what if I, what if I pay my wife and or my kids or like, yeah. you know, as as employ as marketing employees, but I hide it all as wages because that's you know it's what I that's what I choose to do, and I have my company car, and I've got my like country club membership, yeah. and I've got my and like you know a good someone knows what they're doing <laughs> is going to try to hide all that stuff and not make it obvious, right? Like uh, so anyhow, that's a challenge. I know a lot of people we talk to they want to see these really detailed item 19s, and it's really like they're conflicting interests, and so that's um I think and especially as companies get larger it becomes harder to, to clean that up. But, but obviously it's a ton of value if you can show like this is, these are all the scenarios and you know, people can make their own decisions on what they think they're going to do. Um, yeah. So like we, the reason we did it monthly is because we're, we're a brand new salon. I mean, we've only been open two, two and a half years and we're already at 76 locations. So we've grown yeah. a lot during this time. And so we decided to put everyone who had been open prior to the year of the FTD. So Take it back. You know, if you opened December of 2021, you were on the 2022 FTD. 
but you wouldn't hit a year until December, 2022. And so you know, during that time period, you're ramping up. I don't want to show like, oh, you made an average of $20,000 profit. I want to show that ramp up so people can see like, actually, no, it's a good business. It just takes a while for it to grow to that yeah. level. Yeah, yeah, which is legit. And that's like, honestly, that is like the scariest part I think about opening a franchise is like, what am I going to do in the first three months, six months, nine months, 12 months, whatever it is. Like for me, that's like, it's the ramp up period and the unknowns of, yeah, the average does a million or whatever, but like, yeah. how long does it take to get there? And like, how much yeah. money am I going to have to put into the business to make payroll and marketing? And like, is there going to be a burn or, Hey, maybe, maybe, you know, I have really good odds of making this thing profitable from day one. There's, you know, fitness franchises that open up cash flow positive because they have this whole pre-sale model. Like, and so really understanding like what that looks like and having those expectations, I think is, is, is really a key part of it. And I think it's, in, you know, so I, it's, you know, I, I respect and I like that, you know, any brand that shows ramp up periods, um, and very few do. So I would, hopefully you can keep doing that as long as, you know. Yeah, that that's the sense. goal. I, you know, it's, it's scary. Cause like in the very beginning, I, I really tried to just pick the best rockstar, all-star like locations and franchise owners and everything. And, you know, as we start to grow, we're at 76 now by 200, we're going to have our, our winners, our mediums and our losers. And I'm still going to be publishing like all of that transparent data. So I, I just hope people would then understand like, Hey, sometimes markets, I mean, it's a business, right? Sometimes markets don't, aren't all, all stars like hit it out of yeah, the park. Not all franchisees are successful. I mean, some people buy them and it, it doesn't, they don't follow the process. They're not committed. It's whatever, whatever it is. Not everybody works yeah. out. Um, not all of it works out. And that's no. all, you know, I think every, and that's the opportunity for the people that are good. Like, I mean, we bought a ton of locations and by, by helping people who, you know, weren't good operators or they, they were, and, but then they just got tired of it and they wanted to get out. Mm. And so like, you know, and then we come in, we're a ball of energy and we, you know, double the sales and quadruple the profits or whatever it is. And so we win, you know, everybody wins on it. Yeah. That's smart. Are, are most of your franchisees female? Most of our franchisees are male. Really? Okay. Yeah. Like, I think it's more because like they're friends but most, of mine. But almost all the employees are female. Oh, yes, like almost exclusively. We have, oh, you know what? We have one transgender employee in Houston and that person is killing it. And like, okay. that was our first hire like that. And I was like, dang, this is incredible. So yeah, but as, as of now, all of the employees are female. Okay. But most of the franchisees are, are male, you know, 75% 20, are male. 25 yeah. to 35. Do some of them, is it husband and wife team some, or is it kind of like, those are like the best ones. Like I, I love the husband and wife teams. The ones that like the female handles like the, the, the relations. Side, the softy side, that's just how it works. You know, I'm not trying to be like yeah. gender specific on this. It's just, they connect yeah. better with the females in the business. And then the, the guy kind of takes the back end and handles the finances and the growth and like the marketing and, and they, those teams kill it. They do really well that way. And, and on the business model, is it, is it a subscription? Do people sign up? Like how much of it is recurring revenue versus how much is like one time? Um, yeah. Services? That's what's really cool about this business. So, you know, hair grows back every month. Yep. So you need to come in on a monthly basis to stay smooth. We do a membership model. You come in your first time, you're going to come in on a free bikini wax that we're going to promote this all over the internet. And so you come in on your first time for a free bikini. When you get in the door, you're going to get a membership. One in two people that come in the door buy a membership. And then the membership life is for however long that they want to stay smooth like that. And it's uh, usually about 20% off the regular price of the wax. And what's a membership cost? The average membership's $55. So it's between 52 to 56. And you know, so $50 dollars a month, which months. gives them a monthly, how, how often can they go for that? Typically people come once a month. Okay. Once a month. Yeah. And, and then for, one in three people will add on something like underarms, brows, legs. And that's like an upsell on that day. 
from that. Usually we do it beforehand. I mean, we, we stay fully booked usually in our salons on the days that they're working because we pay commission. We don't pay hourly. So if it were not booked, we're going to like close down hours. Okay. Yep. And so that makes payroll then a high, highly variable concept for you guys. Yeah. And it's like highly, uh, highly motivating for the franchise, for the estheticians, because once they build their books, they actually can do better than a lot of the other salons that are traditional hourly plus commission because the commission is lower in this model. They can make more money in the long run, but in the short run, they're like, you know, they're making less than they would if they had an hourly plus commission. And then what, what are some of the things like, so if in terms of the competitors, is, is it, can you guys go up against, I don't know, who's your biggest competitor? Is it European I wax? Only know European thousand wax. Boxes. Yep. Dozen boxes, European wax. And so then what is, what is like, how do you guys determine, like, do you go in, do you compete? Do you want to be within 12 minutes of them? Or like, can you go right yeah. next to them? Like, how do you think through, how do your franchisees think through that? Yeah. So like, is it the Burger King McDonald's model where you like yeah. stick them next yeah. to each other yeah. kind of thing? The, the way we think about it is like, is, is agnostic to competition. I, I'm not going to pick an area that has like five competitors or density of competitors as well of the same type in an area right away. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to build a suite in areas that seem like kind of like blue oceans. It's harder to find that because it's a competitive area um, with good demographics of like 10,000 plus females of, of our demographic. And then we're going to use online ads to just destroy the market and just bring a ton of people in. We can bring so many people in through our online. Like we're really strong at that. And so then once they come in, they try us out, they tell their friends that we build our business organically that way. Okay. Yeah. And, th- and then if you feel like you're strong in a market, then maybe you're okay competing with, I don't know, Phoenix, you're probably not as s- scared to scared. put it near. Yeah, own, I I'd just imagine. open a salon literally across the street from European Wax. Like you can see it from my location and I, I feel very confident about that. And is it different in terms of services or pricing or like just experience or is it just kind of like the brand? Is it the Burger King McDonald's? They just pick It's a one very maybe. different, it's a very different feel, you know, without saying anything harsh about other comp concepts, uh, you know, we're, we're very focused on helping people feel comfortable when they walk in the door. So our imagery, we use like cartoonish characters on all of the doors and all of the clings on the walls and everything. Not, they're not cartoon. They're just digital. They're yeah. not, they're not like cartoony, but they're different types of people. And so all ethnicities, all genders and like all types of people. And so you come in, you see like, hello, gorgeous. You see like, Hey, like we're like body positivity. You open a door, it says you deserve the world or like you look beautiful today. And then our estheticians that we hire, we're, we're focused on finding estheticians that are your best friend right away. You make them feel comfortable. You get a smile out of personality. Yeah. Cause you're naked on a table, you know? So you've got to, you got to think about comfort when somebody comes in the door. And so that's like one differentiator. And then the second is that we do sugaring and waxing, waxing and sugaring is like a organic form that doesn't hurt as much as waxing. Got it. Does European do sugaring? They only do waxing. And they only okay. do one type of wax. And we have multiple types depending on the hair, hair style. I know there's like hot ones and cold ones. And I know there's, I've, I've learned a little bit about it, but um, <laughs> what, uh, how, how do you, uh, how, do, how do you do performance reviews for the estheticians? Like, how do you know if they're doing a good job or not? Like, I mean, obviously, great you know. Yeah. So we, yeah, we're very analytic data driven. So I want to know a couple of things. I want to know how many new clients are coming in the door and if you're selling a membership. So we're going to have a membership so conversion rates. rate. So leads, conversion rates. So they have a sales component of it. Yep. So there's that portion. And then the second thing is how do you keep them on for a long time? Right. So what's your retention and not just the retention of the client, but what is the probability that after seeing Susan, they're coming back the next month. So we're looking at a three month time period and looking what the ramp up of the retention of the client is and then how many loyalists you're seeing. So people that are loyalists are people that have come in three or more times. 
And we want to see you, quote unquote, building your books and ramping that up. And then the third thing that we're looking at is we do yearly audits of the estheticians where we actually grade them on their ability to wax and sugar. And so Brian, like you can think like if you stubbed your toe, you're like you stubbed your knee right on, the, on your desk, like it hurts, right? And then you put your hand on that knee because that feels better. And so when you're waxing, like you pull hair, you need to put pressure, immediately you need to put pressure. And a lot of salons don't do that. And so it hurts more. So our like theme or our branding is all, it hurts less here. And because of those reasons, like we, we really you determine that by surveying customers, I assume. No, we actually do a, we do an audit internally. So we, we have an esthetician that's trained and like writes down all the things that they do for payment. Two people in the room. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Two, two trainers, two trainers. Train. Okay. And then they'll be, they'll be observing and taking notes and I guess yeah. the and then like writing okay like all this, like 50 point certification of the pain management. Mm-hmm. Got yeah. it. Okay. And, and then if the, you lower pain, people will come back. Yeah, no, that's, 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 I think it's huge. Um, cool. Well, any, uh, anything else you'd like to share with me? I think this has been great. I'm at, I learned a ton from you. I knew nothing about, I knew nothing prior to this about waxing and sugaring, but now I know a lot more. So now you're ready. Yeah. Now I'm ready. Yeah, it's open Philly. What are some of the big markets that are still open today? Is it, is it great? I know it's December. I know it's, you know, change it's fluid, but uh, it's, you know, there's, we're in 13, 14 States right now. We're uh, we've got a lot of room to grow in the country. Northeast is not even hit yet. Okay. Um, uh, Charlotte open. Charlotte's got five locations, not really an open market right now. Yeah. What about that? There's a lot of, a lot of locations in Florida are still open. I mean, yeah, we, we find a location. If somebody's interested, go to hello sugar, like the franchise page of hello sugar dot salon. You can find us there. Hit up Brian beers. He's got a lot of information. He's got my contact. You can, you can find me that way or Brigham Dallas, find me on LinkedIn, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but uh, yeah, like there's there's tons of opportunities to get involved cool. with business. Awesome. And the last thing I'd leave you with is like, I, if if you're like if you're like me, eight years ago, there's no way if you told me I'd I'd have an empire of Brazilian waxing salons, waxing, I would never. I would think you're crazy, right? Like, yeah. it's not about your passion or level of like knowledge of like bikini waxing. This is more about can you run a business well? Can you be a multi unit operator? Are you interested in the passion about business, not necessarily like just yeah, like yeah. that's uh, I'm on the same page. We talk about it all the time. It's not about passion like it's about like i'm not passionate about cars or paint or whatever it's yeah. more like i'm passionate about like building a team running a business making money helping other people and solve problems right like and, and that applies to anything you just have to understand in my in my opinion i just have to understand the business i have to believe it's a viable market i have to believe in like you know the team there's other factors but like yeah i mean i think you know if you can get past that and you're like hey this is just a widget and you know, it's one that I, I think I could do really well with given my skills and my goals and my budget, and my location, and all these factors. And like, it's a fit. So, yeah. When I was like, when I was looking at businesses, I, I thought of three things that were really important to me. One, does the customer come back? Is there a membership continuity in the customer? And two, am I hiring career employees or job employees? Like, I don't want to run a fast food joint that I've got to constantly have turnover. And, and three, is there a market to scale? Am I going to be pivoted to one location or am I going to have the opportunity to most multiple units where I can get economic, uh, returns because I have multiple units. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, cool. Yeah. I appreciate coming on. So if anybody's interested, uh, reach out to, to Brigham and through hello sugar franchise, just, just mention that you heard about it here with me, or you can reach out to me directly through LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, anywhere. And I can happy to introduce you. And, you know, we have a bunch of resources we share to help on, on due diligence and, uh, make sure you cover all your bases. So. Well, thanks again for coming on the show and uh, sharing your story. It's been awesome. I'm excited to see you guys grow. Brian, it's been an awesome pleasure to have me. Like, thanks for having me on the show. It's been incredible. Thank you so much. 
That's all we got for this episode with the Business with Beers podcast. One thing that would really help both us and other new potential listeners is to rate the show and leave a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you listen. Also make sure to link up with me on your preferred social media platforms, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can find all my links at brianbeers.com. Please just share the podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember to take the actions others won't to live the life that others don't. 